Welcome to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity with your host, Dr. Veerdra Jackson. On our program, we explore the flip side of every story. And when you open yourself up to both sides, you'll realize that there are life lessons, powerful tools, and so much more. Now, here is Dr. Veerdra Jackson. Hello and welcome to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. I am Dr. Veerdra Jackson, the CEO and creative behind Living Strong Consulting. And we are continuing our conversation, our theme for September of bold, black, and beautiful. And we are jumping into both this episode and the next episode is going to be dedicated to telling our stories unapologetically, authentically, and in a boldness, as well as authors and entrepreneurs, but how do we actually do that well and effectively? So this evening, we have a special guest. She is an international best-selling author, business coach and strategist, podcast host and speaker. Her name is Kimberly Lawson, and she is passionate about helping people around the world attain true happiness and more success, as well as being able to move through any challenges. She's armed with a strong background in psychology and education, and she blends both of them with an expertise around business knowledge and strategy in order to motivate and inspire entrepreneurs to achieve a higher level of success, both individually as well as professionally. She is the founder and CEO of Lawson Learning Academy, LLC, and owner of the publishing company Sherelle Inc., LLC, and founding COO of the National Black Media and Press Association. So as you can tell from her credentials that we, she is going to provide a rich conversation around storytelling, around being an author, juggling being an entrepreneur, a woman um, just on this planet, sharing her message in order to inspire and encourage others. And we might even tap, tap into talking about, and how do you get all of that published so other people can read it? So let me join me in welcoming to the flip side of adversity, Kimberly Lawson. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello, everyone. Thank <laughs> you for having me, um, Dr. Deirdre Jackson. Um, it's truly a pleasure. I'm so excited to be here. I love radio. <laughs> and you know what? I have fallen into this. We are in season seven and um, I enjoy just having amazing conversations to be able to get to know, share stories, create a platform and connection. Now, I shared a little snippet from your bio, but I'm curious, what wasn't in the bio? Tell us something about you that is significant to who you feel you are. So I will say what's not in the bio is I am a boy mom. That's not in the bio. I have an 11-year-old son and a nine-year-old son. And I'm telling you, every day is interesting. <laughs> that 
that is not in my bio. I was the first girl to be born into my mother's side of the family since her. And there's only been um, actually three girls since me. And we are years apart in that. So, you know, my my just upbringing really, I'm the quintessential Southern Belle. I mean, honestly, with all of the brothers and male cousins, like, as a little protector around me, that's not in the bio because I think that those two things truly explain who I am. I am a mother and I definitely grew up in the deep South. So let's jump into that because we as uh, we often will unpack the things that happen to us, through us, in our childhood shape many times how we begin to show up on the planet. And sometimes it's for the good and it allows us to blossom and really know who we are. And sometimes we have to rewrite narratives that are no longer serving us. And I'm curious, how did your childhood actually influence you to be a writer? So being the only girl and being extremely sensitive did not placate well with a mean older brother. I mean, he is loving, but when you think about that meaner older brother that you are terrified of, that was my older brother and cousins and things. And they were all, you know, pretty much into sports. And I just was not. I was this girl and my grandmother wanted me to be this dainty little flower, you know, that wore dresses all the time. But I wanted to keep up with the boys, so I really felt stuck in the middle. And I never felt heard. You know, everybody saw me, but no one heard me. And that, I believe, is truly why I picked up pen and paper. Because I had all of these stories in my head for the life that I thought I wanted to live for um, life you know, that was just very different than what I imagined. So unlike, you know, children of today, um, people of color were just not represented in books the way they are now. So I grew up reading Sweet Valley High, Babysitter's Club, um, Fear Street, um, you know, Are You There, God? Is Me, Margaret, was, you know, just such a pivotal novel in my life and being in the deep south you can relate yes yep yep that was a that was a turning point book for me yes yes (laughs) that was you know that was the book i learned so much about life and myself from that book and i i mean i was such an avid reader i just devoured books and i wanted to write my own books and stories but i'm from this tiny town Um, Growing up, it only had six traffic lights and a train that went nowhere. But that's like the landmark in the town. (laughs) Six six lights on a train. I actually wrote a poem about it. And so I started writing when I was about six years old because I just needed an outlet to just put who I was, the thoughts that were in my head out into the universe. And my grandmother actually had um, some of my early writing, like a poem I wrote 
when I was in the second grade and third grade. And I would write all of these stories about these twins. And, you know, and I just drew, you know, purple and black airplanes on everything. I just, I wanted to see more of the world. I didn't know what else was out there, but I knew there was something more than the six traffic lights and this train that went anywhere. And that really is what shaped me because I'm like, oh my goodness, I, you know, I, I just didn't fit in in this town. You know, I had a purse, you know, tied around me from the second I could walk. Back in the day, you know, Liz Claiborne was it. If you had a Liz Claiborne, you anything, <laughs> you were doing you were taking it me Liz. back. <laughs> yes. Yes. I had a little Liz Claiborne purse that, you know, they had to put a knot in it because it was just too long for me. And I just wrote these stories. And my older brother's friends always say, you know, we we never really saw you. You know, they would come to wow. the house and they would all be outside and I was inside. I was inside somewhere reading a magazine, reading a book or writing stories. You know what, Kimberly, as I think about the power of what you shared, that you weren't, you didn't feel heard. And I think about young people today and so many of them don't feel heard and they are sometimes using outlets in negative ways to scream their message in order to grab attention and being able to find that creative place to say, see me and, and listen to me. It's a really powerful tool. Do you have any opportunity to impart that wisdom to young people today? So for 13 years, I taught middle school English, and that was one of the things that I would tell the students about writing. You know, they would enter the classroom and they hated writing. I was like, by the time you leave, you're going to love writing because you're going to discover how powerful your words really are and sharing it. And since leaving the classroom, um, I continue to support, uh, you know, mentoring groups. Um, I've been a mentor myself. I had my Women of Influence Summit this past Saturday, February 4th here in Atlanta, and I spotlighted two young girl businesses, Self-Made Chicks and Shelly's Butterfly Tales. Um, and these girls were no older than 12, and they came out to the summit and they sold um, bracelets and earrings that they had created themselves. And so one of the things that I always try to impart on the young people, you know, that decisions you make today can impact your life forever. And so you always want to choose an outlet that is going to allow you to express yourself, um, but not at all hinder your future. And so I'm looking forward to really growing that platform of what I call minipreneurs and just really sort of letting them tap into who they are. You know, being a young entrepreneur is, is something that is great. I became an entrepreneur when I was in the fifth grade. Um, do you remember that candy crybabies, the little sour candy Yes, cry the cry, uh-huh. Yes. You so have taken me back this whole conversation. It's going to be all nostalgia <laughs> today because I'm telling you, this is, this is what really shaped me. 
So there was a store near my home and I would walk to the store in the morning um, or in the afternoon um, after I got off the bus and they sold prime babies there and they were a nickel. Well, I, it's a farming community where I grew up. So there are a lot of kids who weren't near convenience stores during this time. And so I would sell them the same crybabies that I bought for a nickel. I sold them for 25 cents. <laughs> Look at you. That's Look a markup. That is a markup. That is a talk about a profit margin. <laughs> but, you know, it's an opportunity to help young people have voice as well as be a role model so that they can see because as you shared in my in my and i know i'm older than you are um but you are speaking my language the the fact that i didn't get a chance to see entrepreneurs in the same way that they are evident now and being able to dedicate an entire month to bold black and beautiful as a theme i feel is a privilege You've already been sharing, but I'm curious, is there a flip side experience or moment where you learned how powerful your words actually are? Oh, so I will say I didn't fully recognize the power of my words um, until I became an educator. Um, as an educator, I realized that my students were only going to meet the expectation that I set for them. So if I if I had, you know, my level of expectation on the floor, that's where they were going to be. But I've had students every year come back and tell me that after leaving my English class, they felt confident enough to tackle any other English class. And so I've always heard, you know, growing up in Southern Baptist Church, life and death lives in the tongue. But I realized that as an educator, that, you know, life and death truly lives in my tongue. If the worst behaved kid in my classroom, if I suddenly put this child up on a pedestal and told all the other kids that I think that this is, you know, you know, little Johnny is amazing. Don't tell me anything bad about little Johnny because I'm not going to believe it because I just know he is phenomenal. And all the kids will be like, what? He? Oh, no. <laughs> Johnny <laughs> probably is like, wait, who, me? <laughs> yeah. And then, and so then it was like, oh, my goodness. I don't want to disappoint her. Mm -hmm. I, you know, and so when little Johnny would come in my room, I never had issues with him because he knew that I thought he was the cream of the crop. It didn't matter what other teachers said or thought of him. When he came in my room, he was somebody and I never had an issue. I, I never had an issue. And so I realized that so many young people don't have someone speaking life into them the way that I did. You know, for me, it was my grandfather. Um, he just, it was my grandfather and my uncle. He just, he was an educator. He was purely a genius. Had he grew up during um, the modern times, he would have been so revered. But growing up during the, the time of Jim Crow, you know, his his potential was really stifled. But he was still such a phenomenal person. And he just 
he always looked at me as if I was the only light in the room. Yeah. And that that itself was changing for me. And, you know, I think about as a DEI um, coach and trainer, oftentimes schools, administrators, and even organizations that have um, the whole DEIB movement. And for those of you who don't know, that's diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And this whole movement, this desire, so what do we do? And there's often a conversation around creating this checklist of strategies. But what I just heard you say is, be clear on your motive for why you are engaging with children, with young people, with colleagues, with fellow educators, with your staff. Because when you help someone recognize that they belong, it's actually about the internal shifts that happen, not just the checklist of policies, practices. Now, are policies important? Absolutely. But how we show up as human beings for one another is where the real shift changes and it creates a ripple effect from childhood all the way up into adulthood and how they show up in spaces. Absolutely. You know, I will say a benefit that I had because I was a psychology major uh, when I attended Albany State University, I was very curious about social work because the only thing I knew about social work were, you know, is defects and they give out food stamps and they take your children away if you don't take care of them. And so I entered into um, senior level courses, you know, not having any type of, of the prerequisite courses, not like social work one-on-one or any of that. I jumped right into the classes that they take right before they do their practicum. And it was eye-opening for me. And I learned about the holistic perspective. And I just feel like we would be better humans in general if everyone had taken some type of social work class that dealt with the holistic perspective, especially those who are going to come in contact with children. And that's just not um, anything about just education. That's ministry, counselors, you know, everyone. You need to learn how to view the entire person and um, act accordingly, you know, mm-hmm. because there are so many factors that impact the thing. Like, you know, today, if on your way in to work, if you had a flat tire and it made you run, you know, late, that's going to impact your day. When you come into your meeting, you know, you don't want people barking at you about the fact that you were late because you're already frustrated. You want someone to say, you know, this is unusual behavior for you. Is everything okay? Is there something that I can do? What a difference something like that would make by recognizing that you are a whole individual, not just a late person. Which is actually the entire focus of the work the workplace now, um, if you are following what researchers are telling about the shift in the workplace, that staff are looking for uh, leaders, managers, colleagues 
that actually see, have compassion, are flexible, are willing to ask the question, not just question, and being able to see one another as human beings first and recognize that if you see me as a human being, invest in me as such and then be willing to allow me to find my place, find my belonging, find my value, and you can match that with affirmation. Wow, we have, I cannot believe we are already at our first break and I've only asked two questions. So <laughs> this has been a rich conversation already with Kimberly Lawson. Kimberly, before we go to break, what is your website address so people can start looking for you? Yes, so my website is um, www.kimberly.com. Lawson.net and Kimberly is spelt with an L-Y because my mom said she was not going to get creative with our names. So that is KimberlyLawson.net. Fantastic. So we're going to get ready to take a break and then come back with a conversation. Kimberly is an international best-selling author. We're going to unpack how did she do it and how does she continue to stay creative? If you want to know, stick with us. Come right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What if the most special part about you was not how you fit in, but how you stood out in a world that has never seen your kind of beauty? What if you could walk confidently in your God-given beauty, identity, and purpose. My name is Sandra Coates, and I am the founder and visionary of a movement called United and True. We want every woman to know that she is being transformed, she has been redeemed, and she is unique. I'm also an author of a newly released book called None Like Her. It is about awakening the beauty and the value that is within every woman. You see, it's time that we rise up through the confusion and the chaos and the comparison and the shame to know that there is nothing more we need to do to access the beauty that is within us. Please visit sandracoats.com for more information. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Living Strong, the flip side of adversity with Dr. Veerdra Jackson. To reach the live show today, call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at livingstrongllc.com. Now, back to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. Well, now that we have walked down nostalgia lane and, and, and just um, travel back to our childhood, I'd like for us to leap forward and jump into your accomplishments. I, I only took a snippet from your bio. You're an international best-selling author. How has that actually affected your writing and your entrepreneurship? 
So I will say probably the biggest thing with it um, is the notoriety. You know, when people hear that, because, you know, people will say they're best selling. But when you say international, there, you know, people sit up a little bit straighter when you talk to them. Um, it has definitely opened some doors for me. It has connected me to um, some wonderful individuals. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I'm all smiles about it, which is why I'm such an advocate for people publishing at least one book in their lifetime. And I often think about that practice of actually telling the story. I think some people sit on their story. Some people um, don't actually believe that they have anything worthy for someone else to read. Or some start it and never go back to it. What advice do you share with those who are in a stalled place? To do it, to live up to the Nike mantra of just do it. You know, the thing about it is, is that books can be living documents. So you can publish the book, read the book and say, oh, man, I wish I would have done. And then publish an update, you know, um, add an epilogue you know, to what you have and done. But words, words are such a treasure. I mean, you think about it. There are books that are hundreds of years old and they are treasures. They are national treasures. And so publishing allows you to live beyond your actual years. You know, books are books outlive us. And yeah. so if you are sitting on a book if you've been thinking about writing a book, it is time to write, W-R-I-T, right now, R-I-G-H-T. It's, it's time. Write it right now. 2023 is a great year for you to become a published author. You know, everyone has a story in them. And that's just the beauty of it. Everyone has a story. It's just a matter of you tapping into your story. And that's where, you know, someone like myself is able to help, or you can even do it at home. This, this is totally, this is really, really simple. And this is how I tell everyone. So if you don't know what to write, this is what you do. You write how you don't know what to write. Spend time every single day talking about you don't know what to write. And if you sit there and you write long enough, you know, I don't know why I'm sitting here writing. I don't know what to say today. Then nothing interesting happened to me today. I just checked the mail. In the mail, there were some bills. I hate getting bills. You know, the mailman shouldn't bring bills to my house. Okay, so in that, you can have a novel about, you know, a grumpy old man who has no friends and he checks his mail and every day he, you know, the postman brings him mail. You can have where the man never gets any of his bills in the mail and he's wondering what's going on. And lo and behold, his wife is having an affair with the mailman who puts bills to the side. <laughs> I mean, there are so many things that you can tap into. You just have to start writing. And this was completely on the fly. I love both of those. And you actually tapped on a concept that we shared in our girlfriend gatherings in 2022. And that's actually just building the habit 
of whatever it is you believe will be your next opportunity for growth. If you are identifying yourself as a writer, then in small ways, write. Oftentimes people are thinking about the big leap of the goal or being able to sit and write pages and pages. When James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, he says, when you call yourself a writer, just sit down and write. And if it's, I hate the bills, the door, the door, the doorbell keeps ringing, whatever it is, as you do that a little bit each day, you'll notice the shift and the change that your brain begins to wrap around. Oh, I didn't write anything today. And then you'll find yourself being drawn to the practice of getting into that space. And when you connect with a talented publisher who can pull it out of you, what is the importance of connecting with a skilled, experienced publisher? Tell us a little bit about why that's important. So it's important to make sure that your work is represented in the manner in which you want. You know, there are many reasons to write. And so anytime I meet with someone, I ask, why are you writing? Are you writing for you? Are you writing for accolades? Are you writing for money? Because depending on the answer, that determines the path in which we need to take. So having an experienced publisher will know the different funnels in which you should go down in order to achieve the goal. That's really, really important. Beyond that, uh, an experienced publisher knows the value of the process to getting published. There are corners that you maybe can cut, and there are other things that are just absolute blasphemy in the synagogue if you don't do these things. So you want to be with someone who has been down those avenues. You know, if the publisher has never published anything that became a bestseller and one of your goals is to become a bestseller, the publisher may not know what avenues to turn down to get you to that. You know, if this publisher is all about publishing for money, meaning book sales are going to be the driving force, then he or she may want you to make a lot of changes to your manuscript so that it fits more into a market that will produce the sales. So you really need someone that knows what they're talking about. It would be the same as um, a great example with lawyers. So, you know, all of them go to law school, all of them have to pass the bar, you know, and they're practicing in their state. But if you are on, you know, if you're facing, you know, first degree murder charges, you may not want to get a family attorney whose only experience is dealing with wills or a real estate attorney. While this is an attorney, this is not necessarily his or her area of expertise. And so when it comes to a publisher, you want to be sure that you're with someone whose skill set, whose expertise will align with your publishing goals. That is so powerful to think about. First, identify your motivation for why you're doing it and be clear on your desired outcomes and then be willing to ask the hard questions as you are interviewing publishers to make sure that they're the right match for where you want to actually get to 
with your goal. But I think how often do people go into it without actually thinking about where do I want to go with this and why am I doing it? That I think also would play into how it's marketed as well. You've experienced a great deal of success. What kind of marketing tips or tools do you share with um, aspiring authors on how to market their book? So two things, you have to be very clear on your why and you need to be very clear on your who. who. Who are you expecting to read your book? It's in business, we call it your avatar, your target audience. It's the same with book publishing. And so before you, you know, spend any marketing dollars, you need to be very clear on why you're publishing the book and who you're publishing the book for so that you are driving, you know, your um, your book in that direction. If you've written a book for, you know, men and women who are over the age of 50, you shouldn't spend a lot of your advertising dollars on Instagram ads because most people over 50, they have an Instagram. They don't live on Instagram. This is your Facebook community, you know, things like that. If you are publishing a book for, you know, a younger crowd, Instagram, TikTok, those things can be more of um, your target audience. So understanding your why and your who is really important because you can waste money um, in areas that just doesn't make sense anymore. If you are not publishing a book for someone over the age of 60, you know, you shouldn't be spending marketing dollars on mailers, you know, Oh, yes. Yes. I I love this conversation. Can I just pause you for a moment? Because we have had guests come on and talk about the word avatar. And if you're willing to, to do this, can you give just a few markers or examples of what you should ask yourself in order to shape who your avatar is? I know you've already said, um, think about where does your avatar um, sit on social media? Where does your avatar actually go to um, receive their marketing information? What are some other questions, not only authors, but the other entrepreneurs who are listening? What are some questions they should think about in order to shape who their avatar is? So this will sound silly, but allow me to explain. So you want to know, is your avatar a Walmart shopper or a Target shopper? Is your avatar a Kroger shopper or a Publix shopper? Because these are two very different audiences. Walmart, Kroger, these are people who like a good deal. You know, these are couponers. They, They like a sale. Target and public, they're more into quality um, over quantity. So the price, you know, points are very different. You can buy, you know, the same juice in Walmart, you know, for $218 and it is $297 in Target, you know, things like that. So understanding holistically who is your target. So you need to know more than just male, female, and age bracket. You know, what other types of products does your avatar purchase and why? You know, because this also allows you to 
have some type of market analysis and knowing are there other services that you're not offering that maybe you should be offering. It gives you some price point things. <laughs> pricing a book is key to sales. So if you are pricing a book for an avatar that maybe predominantly shops at Walmart, you know, that $9.95 is going to be that cap. You know, they're not looking, you know, they're not looking beyond that. So we can't even talk about them being in Barnes and Noble, you know, buying books where books are around, you know, hardbacks, 1995 and things like that up. So it, it's very important that you just delve into who you're selling to and why. You want to do, um, people often ask, you know, how do I get this information? So you can build it. So you can decide who you want to sell to. Mm. And you want to fully put it out, you know, who who are you selling to? You know, I I'm targeting um you and you want to name the person. So if I was creating an avatar would say, um, Dr. Vidra Jackson is my avatar. We're looking at um a female um over the age of 40, um, six-figure salary. Life to shop at Starbucks is definitely a Publix, Whole Foods, Trader Joe's shopper. Um, you know, is definitely more of a upscale luxury type of person. And so, once you decide who you who your avatar is, you build it out. Then you can build your product to meet those needs. So, if you're talking about someone who is more into luxury. Then if you're going to give a premium price point, then you should be offering premium services. So you want to make sure that you think more from a concierge perspective and not of a bargain perspective, because people in certain um, brackets are accustomed to a certain level of customer service and things being met. You know, they are willing to pay a little bit more for convenience. They don't want to sit in the Uber X that could be the Toyota Corolla. They will take the Uber Black or the Uber XL when they can sit in possibly an Escalade, a Yukon Denali XL, you know, something with a little bit more room and a little bit more comfort. You know, I am bursting on the inside because I feel like you just helped a whole bunch of entrepreneurs who are playing it small, who are afraid to create real price points, who are afraid to actually speak to the value of their voice, of their product, of their service, understand who your avatar is, and then going right back to our theme, be bold about what you are putting on the planet and know that this avatar, this is the price point they are expecting. Because if I'm walking into and expecting a Saks Fifth Avenue experience, but you're afraid and you come to me with a Walmart price point, even though the product looks like it could live in Saks, I'm now going to question what you are able to deliver on. So recognizing when you get clear, you understand your motive and you know who you are either writing for, selling to, or providing a service for, you're talking about getting clear, getting clear and being bold enough 
to have an authentic answer. Oh, I can't believe it. We are at our second commercial and I'm going to start looking for some questions um, so that we can take advantage of the wisdom and the expertise that Kimberly is offering. And could you also, now this time, can you tell us where we can find you on social media? Absolutely. So I am on Facebook and Instagram as Lawson Learning Academy um, and as author Kimberly Lawson. I'm also on TikTok as author Kimberly Lawson. I am on Twitter as um, Lawson Learning Academy. Um, so on all of the social media platforms, uh, predominantly you can find me as either author Kimberly Lawson or Lawson Learning Academy. And we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. What if the most special part about you was not how you fit in, but how you stood out in a world that has never seen your kind of beauty? What if you could walk confidently in your God-given beauty, identity, and purpose? My name is Sandra Coates, and I am the founder and visionary of a movement called United and True. We want every woman to know that she is being transformed, she has been redeemed, and she is unique. I'm also an author of a newly released book called None Like Her. It is about awakening the beauty and the value that is within every woman. You see, it's time that we rise up through the confusion and the chaos and the comparison and the shame to know that there is nothing more we need to do to access the beauty that is within us. Please visit SandraCoats.com for more information. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. This is Living Strong, the flip side of adversity with Dr. Veerdra Jackson. To reach the live show today, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at livingstrongllc.com. Now, back to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. Welcome back. I have been waiting for an opportunity to have someone actually unpack the concept of an avatar. I've had several entrepreneurs come on and talk about you need to um, speak to your avatar. You need to prepare for your avatar. Well, Kimberly Lawson just broke it down and our Facebook community is on fire over that avatar conversation. If you missed it, Make sure you catch the replay and share it with a struggling entrepreneur who is lacking clarity, who has been afraid to create a price point for either their book or their product or their service. She went in. She got real clear for all of us. So I'd like to actually ask another question around 
As an entrepreneur and as an author, what are some of the specific strategies you use to not only start the book, but actually finish it? So um, setting a timeline is so necessary. You know, you've heard of the acronym SMART Goals uh, about being specific. It needs to be measurable, all of those things. And the last one is T is time. You have to set an end goal because if you don't, you're just flailing around. You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to do it, you know, at some point before I die, possibly, maybe. You know, setting a timeline is key because once you set a timeline, you're now on the clock. So now it's time for you to really sort of measure out what are you going to do and in that time frame. And if you really are a person who sets goals and it once you know that you set the goal and it's going to bug you if you don't achieve it, it, that will help you. You have to have an end in mind. Um, and even if you don't fully accomplish that end, you find yourself being so close to it possibly that it's going to eat at you. That's the biggest thing when it comes to finishing a book is setting a timeline. The other part is what you mentioned earlier about writing every single day. And that should be a goal. You know, you can determine your timeline. If you want to say, hey, every day I'm going to write for five minutes, you know, that in itself is great because for five minutes, probably the first 10 days, you're going to write for five minutes. And then once you get beyond those 10 days, you find yourself writing seven minutes, 10 minutes, and 15 minutes. And before you know it, you're writing for an hour and you didn't even realize it um, because it helps you. And I would say the third thing is to remove any roadblocks that you have. So if you cannot type, cell phones now have the voice to text. You know, you may have to clean it up a little bit. Um, some computers um, programs will allow you to do that. You can speak it in and get it going. And so take away that barrier. If you're a person who likes to handwrite things, you know, crack out that notebook paper you know, I recommend a spiral tablet because it helps you to keep all the ideas in one spot. And so maybe if you kind of jumping around in your um, book a little bit, that helps. But those three things help push more authors through the writing process and getting them from zero to publish quicker because they have that timeline. They set that writing goal for it to be daily, and then removing the barriers to writing, such as, oh, I can't type, handwrite it, or talk to text. Talking about barriers, are, are there any strategies or thoughts around what you actually need in the writing space to help you stay focused? Well, that's so situational. Um, some people, you know, it, it depends on what you know about yourself. So I would say the environment in which you are able to read is also the same type of environment in which you will be able to, to write. So if you are a person who you need to be in a quiet space without the television on to read, most likely that's going to be the same space that you will be able to write in. If you are a person who can quiet their mind, you know, with distractions all around you, then you most likely can write in any environment. I can sit in Barnes & Noble Starbucks with people moving back and forth and lose myself in a book. And it's the same thing 
with my writing. I can pretty much write anywhere. I have other writing friends who have to be in silence. So they put their phone on do not disturb. They turn their television off and they spend 30 minutes in their writing space every single day to get those goals done. This is absolute gold. And I feel like you have actually created a process and a curriculum to help people intentionally. Can you tell us about your uh, writing academy? Yes. So, so many individuals are always asking, you know, how do I become a published author? I don't know what to do. So I have a writing academy. It is live virtual sessions. So, you know, I know about some DIY where you can sort of do it on your own, but I just know the power of being in a space Mm -hmm. with someone actually looking at you and that you can respond to. So it is a three-month course, but it's six sessions. So we meet bi-weekly and I go through the full process, you know, about um, writing your manuscript, creating that marketing plan choosing an editor, um, how you can become a best-selling author, because that's a question everybody wants to know, like, how do you get your book to hit number one in those categories? And so all of those things, so it's six topics, we go through it. I actually um, am available to answer questions during those sessions. So that's the other thing, you know, you watch a video, you may have some questions, and you don't want to send out an email and then wait. And so the virtual live gives the space for writers, you know, and aspiring writers to really learn about the process and also work on their manuscripts, which is why it's bi-weekly. Because what my hope is, is that during this space of this time, you start at least outlining your manuscript Mm -hmm. to get you where you need to be. So that course is starting again in March. And we will do bi-weekly. So people have the potential to become a published author before the summer. Because wow. we will have those six sessions. And if you are going through and you are really using the tools, um, you can start in March. And by the end of May, early June, you're published. Wow. The level of accountability and guidance to that. I, I think about how individuals um with a a do-it-yourself can get lost if if there's not that internal motivation and it sounds like with that process with the successions with actually having access to you being able to answer questions ask questions and get them answered as well as getting to the meat of strategy yeah there's a level of a, a powerful accountability with that We are coming up on our last few minutes of our time together, and I'm hoping we can answer two more things. You had referenced that 2023 is the perfect time to get published. I think also as a business strategist, there's, this is also an amazing time to launch the business. For authors or entrepreneurs, what's one message you are telling them about 2023? This is an opportunity to grow your legacy. Whether it is starting a business or writing a book, both can be a part of your legacy. And so 
coming, you know, COVID is still that dirty word we don't say out loud as much, but it taught us a, one very important lesson. Time is precious. So if you're thinking about a book, you've been thinking about it for years. 2023 is the perfect year to go ahead and, and just do it. Because 23, it makes me think about Michael Jordan and the Jordans and the Nike. Just do it. It's, it's time. You don't want to waste another second of doing it when you can truly change your life with a book. You are an entrepreneur. You publish a book. Now you have a tool that you are able to sell on top of with your business and your services. Corporate America, so many of these people in these spaces are looking for books and things to have their teams to read. School, mm -hmm. you know, published authors, speaking engagement, book tours, you know, it's, it's endless. All of the things that you can do if you decide to publish a book, but you have to do it because the thing that you never birth can never breathe. The thing you never birth can never breathe. That's a whole tweet right there. So we've got about two minutes left. What is on the horizon for you now? Two minutes. So, <laughs> so on the horizon, I am expanding my children's book series, The Amazing Adventures of Kimmy. So the first book, Kimmy Needs a Mom. Second book, Kimmy Makes a Friend. The third book is coming out this summer, and Kimmy Wants a Pet. So that is on the horizon. I am in the process of curating an event for authors and aspiring authors to come in a space to learn because I, I just believe in always providing an opportunity for learning and leadership. So we're going to talk about getting your books made into movies. Um, I am lucky enough to be associated with two authors who have went through that process. Let's talk about, you know, um, what category should you be looking at if you're thinking about publishing a book? You know, connecting you with other publishers, connecting you with editors, all things book related. So I'm in a process of curating that. That is going to come out hopefully May of this year. Wow. I hope you had pen and paper listening to this episode because the nuggets were flowing and we so appreciate your wisdom, your willingness and openness to share. And I'm sure people walked away with valuable tips and tools. And just as we close out, share your website one more time so that if they didn't catch it at the break, they've got a chance to catch it again. Absolutely. So my website is KimberlyLawson.net, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-Y-L-A-W-S-O-N.net. Thank you again, Kimberly. This has been an amazing conversation. And can I encourage our listeners to stay bold? This is an opportunity for your voice to be heard and there is someone waiting for you to stop being afraid to say it. I hope you are enjoying our theme, Bold, Black, and Beautiful. We're going to continue this conversation next week, continuing talking about storytelling and publishing and the strategies around doing it in unique ways. So stay with us right here, same place, same time on the flip side next week. See ya. Thank you for tuning in to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. 
Please join your host, Dr. Veerdra Jackson, for another edition of our show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.